This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the Paramount Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza. Back behind the microphone here. Back in business, ready for the college football season of the year 2022 that starts well chris anderson it never ends i guess the off season is just part of the season now and it's been extremely busy at west virginia that will shape our conversation here today but per my math my calendar everybody reports on sunday and because west virginia has a september one game they can start 31 days early that means august 1st first official camp practice I, I can't believe it's right around that corner so soon and, and yet so long after a pretty bad night in the desert back in December. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I was, I was looking at it. I was up in Morgantown covering that camp on Monday and then the camp came to an end and it was like, oh, wait, let me what's next. Oh, literally five, six days from now, everybody's recording. Camp is starting. Uh, you know, talking to a few people there that were just like, man, it, it it's here like it's it seems so soon but it's it's here there is no break uh they've already had their break obviously they july was vacation time for a lot of the staffers but then it was back onto it and and one day recruiting camp some recruiting visits uh might be a couple recruiting visits later in the week and then sunday like you said report day monday probably the first day of practice oh man just like a snap we've been writing stories and working on rumors and capitalist sources for so long should get a football in practice. I mean, spring football seems like a long time ago, given the amount of things that happened in between then and now. Which leads me to this, our transition. We're going to talk about the season in a preview. When I was gone, unrolled nine preview podcasts, Chris. Nine. That's like four weeks of work for us. <laughs> it's like two podcasts of words. <laughs> but it was like a lot of work. Um, that you and I were normally do, but I had the help from our associates across the Big 12 of the 24-7 network. Every Big 12 team did a preview between, I don't know, 15 and 25 minutes, depending on how interesting the team was, my questions, their responses, good participation. Thanks to everybody who helped me out there across the network. Um, One piece of feedback I got, though, was, hey, are you going to do one of these for West Virginia, Mike? Hey, these are great. I love hearing about Kansas State and Baylor and Texas Tech et al., what about West Virginia? Well, I hadn't thought about that. So, Chris, we're going to quiz each other today on the very same questions. Um, four kind of static questions, the first two and the final two. The, the, those were the same ones that I asked everybody who was involved in the Big 12 podcast. And that middle question, the third one, is kind of sports-specific, excuse me, team-specific. Um, so it'll be something you want to know what I think. I want to know what you think. But I guess we'll do it. We'll frame it the same way and talk about the team. But let me ask you this. Between when things ended with the spring game, JT Daniels is in the fold. The quarterback situation was, I wouldn't say sewn up, but the needle was through the thread or thread was through the needle and the needle was through the fabric. And we had a pretty good idea how this is going to look. But 
there have been some additions since then, hardly any subtractions. Um, one notable one that we can get into, but do your feelings change at all, positively, negatively, again, if at all, based on what has happened since the end of the spring until now? No, not really. I mean, I think, again, I think for the most part, it's the same roster that we thought it was going to be at the end of spring. Um, like you said, not too many subtractions, not too many additions. Um, the nothing, I want to say nothing enlightening from Big 12 Media Day, but you knew that Neil Brown was going to come out and say that there's an open quarterback competition. Uh, he has to say that. So I'm not saying he's doing it wrong. He, he has to say that. And there has to be at least some sort of competition. Again, we've We've discussed this before. If you if you just hand it over to to a new guy, that's not going to sit well in the locker room. And, and even Neil Brown kind of acknowledged that by saying that he doesn't have to truly make the decision at quarterback because the team will. The team will know who the quarterback is. And so I think he does have to kind of keep it open for this fall camp, although everybody's leaning towards JT Daniels. So nothing's really changed uh, with my perspective on the team right now as it was back in the spring. I'm with you with one slight tweak, mm. not to disagree with you, how much fun as that is. But that he's here, that helps the offense. I think it gives the offense a confidence. And because it did work out a bunch, but my conversations with some players in Dallas and then some people off to the side that are that are at WVU or around the, the well, my, this is just the Big 12 um, people I know, not just people I interview for the podcast, people I know. Um, man, that new rule where you can work with coaches during the summer. And, and do stuff with a ball that's like instructional people who have been through that are kind of like, wow, that's, that's a big difference. It's a small change, but it makes a big difference. You can really get some things done and, and more so now than ever hit the ground running when camp does start. And that might be the point of it all too, even though they're making the preseason longer now, but um, the fact that you could spend a couple hours a week with coaches during those summer workouts, practices, whatever you want to call them, it wasn't that long ago where you can get in trouble for doing the things that you're allowed to do now. Like I think West Virginia ended up on probation a couple of years back because too many coaches, too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, and they're trying to keep a lid on the offseason getting out of control back then. It's not a, an apples to apples comparison, but you kind of get my point here. They were really trying to restrict how much players were made to do or asked to do or allowed to do in the offseason. Now you can do more. And there have been changes between that probation I just mentioned and now, but a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. But now you can have some oversight and coaches there. You can really sharpen the the point of your summer workouts with coaching and just a couple hours a week, too. So I do think that, by and large, yeah, the roster is the same. The direction is the same. Schemes, all that stuff. But I'm curious to see or to hear what people think about the first week or so of camp and how much better it is, how much more advanced it is, how much more polished or refined it is than it had been in the past and that rule didn't exist. So that's what I'm curious about. They, they could be a little bit better right away than they thought. And then if this team that is very confident has some reason to be confident, that really could propel them in a, in a positive direction. Yeah, absolutely. I think all <laughs> pictured in my head is, you know, now that they're finally able to use footballs uh, and, like people were thinking, what? Who cares? What do you mean? Actually, use footballs. There was a time several years back where they were. You could see, like during the summer or something like that, where the team would get together or not, not in an official capacity, and they would be doing things, practicing things, walking through things with a towel. 
yeah. with a towel instead of a football, like literally balling up a towel and pretending like that was the football because it was against the rules to have a football. And again, I'm I'm glad they changed because that's just so it's so stupid. And, and I'm glad they changed that rule. I'm glad you're not worrying about that anymore, and you can actually just go out there and do stuff. But um, yeah, I think that can help the teams that that have good talent but new guys, which I would say West Virginia is in. You know, with some of their transfers, of course, in the age of the transfer portal, there's a lot of teams that probably could say that. But West Virginia would definitely fit that bill where they have good talent coming in but need to learn the system, need to learn the scheme, need to mesh with the other guys that are already on the roster. So that could be very beneficial for WVU. Let's get to the questions, Chris. Mm -hmm. People want to know what we think. I'm curious what you think about some of these things, too. We'll take a couple minutes to answer each of these ourselves. Um, We'll start at the end. The 2022 season is over. Be as generic or as specific as you want here. Record, goal destination, off-season tumult. I don't know. But how does this look at the end of the season for West Virginia football? West Virginia finishes the season. Uh, I'm going to go pre-bowl here because uh, that's such a wild card with who's going to who you're playing, where it's going to be, who's going to actually play in the game. Um, they're sitting 7-5 and five or 8-4. and four. It's okay season. They got a nice win in one of the two rivalry games. You know, we went through and did our game by game. I think we both picked seven and five with one or two games different, but I think that's where it ends up. And we spend the entirety of November and December debating what the next step is for West Virginia and Neil Brown. And I think seven and five or eight and four, they're you're just saying it right here, just saying the words seven and five, eight and four it seems like a pretty drastic difference between those two records, even though it's only one game. Um, eight and four, I think there's a little a uh, little more of a bright and cheery outlook for this team than seven and five, even if both of them are over 500, even if they're both in a bowl game. And there's discussions of, is JT Daniels coming back for another year? What's going to happen at quarterback? Is Neil Brown, should should West Virginia extend him? And I think that's going to be that discussion. Oh. Huh. Go on. <laughs> I know that's your favorite topic extensions for coaches before their contracts are even close to up. So, yeah, I think that's the discussion that's going to be happening in December and it, right now looking into this WVU football season. Yeah, I love it. I'm going to by and large agree with a lot of what you just said here, which again is not my point, but I think it's that's those are the cards on the table and there's a certain way to play them where no matter how many hands you're going to play, it's going to end up like that too. And also because Man, so much happens transactional between the end of the regular season and a bowl game now. You're talking four or five weeks sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and teams can't wait to do things. So the bowl game, I don't want to say it doesn't matter. But to some extent, it doesn't matter. Like when we're having a conversation like this at the end of July, too. So, yeah, what happens in that regular season is going to be very, very important, too. Um, so I think it's a really good point and a really good way to frame it, but also set up that there there are likely to be decisions of of varying levels of importance after the end of the regular season and before a bowl game, irrespective of who they play in a bowl game, where they play, whatever. Um, if there is no bowl game, then those decisions are expedited and maybe a little bit more urgent too. Um, I'm sticking with what I said. I can see this team being seven and five um, with a wiggle here and there, maybe six and six and eight and four too. I never got the five wins over under, um, which I think is about up to five and a half now. So probably there's some some action on that number to to move it like that too. Um, yeah, you and I both were on that, right? That was one of our 
it was like, holy cow, if that's five, you know, that's a good bet because five gets your money back. Yeah. Six, six is a winner. Um, feel pretty good about that bet. And yeah, I think a lot of other people were too. Five and, and not that, but you're going four and seven against the FCS. So I, I just had a hard time believing that. I don't know. Um, I think, I think you're going to have a season at the end that is again, let's use that seven and five, but wiggle, wiggle, six, six, eight, and four. I think what's going to be interesting is that you're going to talk in December about whether or not this team figured out a way to win those games that hadn't been able to win. I've said this kind of consistently throughout Brown's three seasons is that one of the hallmarks is his teams, you can't, you can beat them. And more often than not, you can beat them. That's what the record says. It's not easy to beat them. Uh, they don't go away. Yeah, they're hard to blow out, so on and so forth. And you can build a lot with that. You have to build sooner than later. And maybe before year four is the time to do that. But if it's not in year four, then you take some of the starch out of that that argument, some of the starch out of that compliment. But that compliment nevertheless exists. You talk to opponents um, and players who've been on the team and have come through, and they say, listen, they play really hard um, first quarter to fourth quarter. And they've been in the games a couple times that maybe they had no business winning because of talent or mistakes or whatever. And and they've been in games where they've won because they haven't made the mistakes. They've forced the other team to make errors or be uncomfortable. And that's because of how hard they play and determination and whatever you want to call it. There have to be some some games that are more wide open than that where they get away and they win or where they get more of the wins and the losses. And I think that you're going to sit down at the table at some time in that period in December and say, got it done this year because they finally follow through on years of frustrations, but also focus to win those games. Or conversely, man, that's four years of this. They couldn't make the difference. I think that's going to be a big determination um, for the fate of their season. And then I'll echo what you're going to say, too. The quarterback's going to be a conversation in the offseason. Just this. Does he come back? Did it work? Was Harrell as advertised? And then, okay, JT's gone. Maybe. How do you feel about one of the other three? Do you go back into the portal? Um I think you're going to have enough success on offense with who they have that you're going to feel good about it, but you're going to have questions nevertheless. And then you kind of get into the transfer portal roulette, who's back, who's not, and who can come in to replenish the offense there too. Um, I just think that the offense could be a a dynamic this year that hasn't existed, whereas the defense has been fairly consistent for three years. It hasn't been a problem or the problem. Um, So I almost kind of want to exclude it from this conversation. So I think the ability to – bank those frustrating games or to be defined by them in a negative sense and also quarterback slash offense um, that will determine what happens in the season. What we're talking about in December. Couldn't agree more. And then that uh, all I keep thinking about was a discussion I had this week at camp about the proposed legislation about transfer windows. Um, I think one of them was, you know, 60 days after the end of the season. Um, And you talked about that those few weeks after the end of the regular season are so transactional. And I don't know if you meant coaches or players or both, but uh, the answer is yes. Uh, it's going to be extremely transactional. So that that December, it, it man, all of a sudden that becomes the most important month almost of the entire year, outside of you know actually winning games on the field. Yeah, and and everything's a transaction now. It's your coordinators who, I mean, maybe a guy does a great job rehabbing his career. And he's gone. Maybe this guy who wants to be a G5 coordinator, head coach, he's gone. It could be that. And the players, it's, it's just impossible to think of an hour without them finishing a season and thinking about, okay, what's next, but also where is next. That's just kind of the way it goes. Uh, Chris, we are uh, lowercase experts on the, the subject matter here at West Virginia. 
I think if people want to know about the Mountaineers, hopefully they come here, VIP, free, whatever. Um, but they toggle on over to earsports.com. They know the top of the mind, the the front burner issues with the team. So we don't want to spend a lot of words or time on that. We're going to go off the radar. Beneath the surface here, tell me someone, something, an angle, could be positive, could be negative, an aspect, again, positive or negative, that has your attention. Doesn't mean that it's a thing right now, capital T, lowercase t, whatever. But you got your eye on it, and then you're pretty sure that by the end of camp or the end of non-conference player, sometime in the near future here, it's going to be on that front burner. It's going to be at the top of our mind. And someone listening now is going to be like, Anderson, he got it. He knew it. Uh, who, what, where is that talking point for you? All right, you're asking me to go off the radar. It is probably off of most people's radars except for yours. Special teams. Oh, gosh. Are you serious? Yes. I'm going there. I, got the, I mean, if you're telling me that it has to be something that people don't know about, because I think everybody knows there's all the discussion about quarterback. Everybody knows that the entire offensive line could be starting again this year. Everybody knows that the secondary is an issue and West Virginia is waiting or, or not waiting, but trying to figure out if these FCS transfers can have their talent and success translate to power five football. So where are we going that, that's off the radar that is going to have an impact on this team that is, ha, has had an impact on this team? Um, and, and I'm going special teams. I uh, had an interesting conversation with Capital S someone uh, this week about the kicking situation because I made a comment about, you know, West Virginia kind of sneaking in uh, Parker Grouthouse from Florida State. Uh, you know, you, you wrote about this, about him kind of, somehow making it in because of the trimesters and the semesters and how it all works with um, when the school year ends or when there's breaks in the school year for Florida State and West Virginia. And he he kind of just popped in in like March. Um, and I said something about that. And a couple of someone said, yes, at least we can finally get some GD kickoffs into the GD end zone. And I said, yeah, well, that I guess that would be nice, and and the conversation continued with comments about how you know the defense or the offense would get something going. The defense was having a good day, game, and then all of a sudden, you know, the kickoff is is floating and it's a big return, or the kickoff is going out of bounds and they're starting at the forty yard line, or they're calling for a a pinning the ball to the right side of the of the field and the ball gets kicked right down the middle. Just a lot of mistakes, a lot of mental errors on on kickoffs. And, and special teams as a whole, kind of the conversation expanded past that or expounded past that to a more general discussion of special teams and how West Virginia needs to shore that up um, on the quote, defensive side, quote, defensive side of special teams and how they're really looking for some playmakers on the offensive side. You know, the consistency was fine, especially on kickoff returns last year. I think West Virginia was like top 25 in average kickoff returns. Um, but a lot of that was boosted from a big, what, three weeks from Winston Wright and then nothing the rest of the way. And so I think West Virginia is looking for something, they, that somebody that can, can make plays all year long on there too. So you're asking me what's going to make – you're talking about a lot of games. You know, just a minute ago you said this could be five and seven, six and six, eight and four, four and eight, and, and all these games are close. And what's going to be the difference between winning those close games, losing those close games – I'm staring straight in the face of special teams for West Virginia. Hold on one second. 
Did you just... Did you just... Tearing up my script now. Oh, I thought you were uh, taking a cold shower there. That You got a little too excited about all the special teams talk. Uh, that was my answer. We probably should have gone to the dress rehearsal here this time, <laughs> but uh, no. Um, I think that's a big deal because there's there's hidden yardage there. There's hidden points there. Um, I, I have some concerns about the defense I think I'll probably get into here. And I think if you make teams work longer uh, and harder, that helps the defense too. Um, that That's a big one for me. That that may actually be the right answer too. Um, I don't know who's kicking field goals right now. I know they have the first team all-conference kicker, right? Yeah. But Grothaus seems like a guy they keep mentioning too. Uh, the punty thing, I guess, is, is kind of open. Um, I don't know who's going to return. And then you're going to have a lot of people, young people, new people on, on the tackle units and blocking units, too. So that's that's certainly worth watching. But can it be worse? I don't know. It can be better. Sure. Um, OK, so let me let me pivot here, too. Um, I'm, I'm, this is not a negative, but it's something to keep an eye on. I, I do have questions about their pass rush, and I do that align with the fact that they want to play a lot of man to man in the back end um, and that the they played so much zone and, and so many zone concepts last year which was maybe a little bit too forgiving, but also it put guys who weren't great tacklers in position to run up and make tackles. Like in zone, you're just naturally not as close to the ball very often. You're playing a little bit softer. As man, you're on the ball, you're on people a little bit too. I think that they believe in the personnel they have to play man, whomever it may be at corner and safety and with whatever hybrid packages and personnel they use. Um, does that help the pass rush in that, you know, maybe the quarterback's got to like, smack the ball a little bit more because option A and B aren't open. He's got to look around him up. Oh, here comes Dante Stills sack. Conversely, does pass protection for the opposing offense work so well against kind of a pass rush? That isn't what it could be or should be or what the defense wants it to be that all of a sudden those people learning and playing man to man can't do it. And receivers are open. There's going to be some receiver talent, in the big 12 and in non-conference play that would concern me a little bit too. And it's going to start soon. Like, Pitt's going to have a good passing game. Kansas is going to have a, I can't I'm saying this, like a, a good passing game, but also like the quarterback's going to be a problem in some regard there too. So we'll see right away. But where are they getting sacks, Chris? Like that bandit position has been kind of, you know, out the lunch for as long as they've been here. Uh, Taj Austin has not been a big sack guy. Uh, Dante Stills has, but sounds like that he understands his role in the offense is not to really go after the quarterback and, and blow up play after play after play, that he understands that, his value is sometimes in adding value to the front. Um, is Lee Koba a blitzer from Mike? Very interested about that. And then the will is just a different position. You don't see a ton of pass rush there. I think they like Lance Dixon, but do they do that stuff? And then kind of growing out from this, they really want to set their edges with, with their spear, with their bandit, maybe a defensive end or tackle, whatever. But if you're committing those players to the pass rush, it kind of becomes difficult to set those edges for run games or anything that happens on the perimeter, too. So um, I want to see what they do with pass rush to either generate it or just have it organically and conversely to make sure they're not hurting their defense. Because I just until you see it from the secondary with personnel and production and performance, it's really hard to believe that it's going to be a static thing. Like, all right, they're just going to go out and cover and tackle and get PBUs and interceptions. No, hard for me to do that. And, and their work is on a sliding scale related to the pass rushing, how much time that the passer has. And that's that's just a concern for me right now. I have a lot of respect for the coaches and the faith in their defense at large, but it's not an assumption for me that's going to happen. 
and I look at where it can or may go wrong, and it's how much heat can they put in the quarterback, how uncomfortable can they make that quarterback, especially as they're trying to play man-to-man on the back end. So are you are you really upset? That was pretty good for on the fly, by the way, of, of me stealing special teams from you and, mm-hmm. and you flipping to that, that, that topic for your pick. You owe me that much. Uh-huh. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Um, my question for you now, are you buying the running game? Because it's different without Lynn J. Dixon, isn't it? That's your home run hitter. And I don't know what type of a presence he was, but, or if he was a distraction, but he's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was unlike the other guys, maybe more like Justin Johnson, or maybe Justin Johnson was more like him. It looks like Mathis and, and Jalen Anderson are probably more like each other. But you went from a room that had four to, pardon me, a room that probably just has two now. And, and let's see. Let's see what Mathis can do over a whole year. And let's see if Justin Johnson is as good as they say. And can Jalen Anderson get in the field? But I don't know how big of a loss the Dixon thing was. I just know I've watched them try to run the ball for three years, and it hasn't worked. And here's a guy who, who had, uh, for lack of a better phrase, like a big bat. He was a home run hitter. But he also kind of fell off, too. So I'm not even sure what they have, never mind what they lost. But I know what they've lacked. And I just I struggle to see it right now, unless their offensive line is going to be so good that it becomes a lot easier for the running backs, which which may be the case, and perhaps running backs to it, too. But where do you stand on, on the run game as far as the progression of it and then the delivery on what seems like years of promise now? I'm in on it. I'm I am I'm fully in on the run game being what's the right adjective here right I mean adequate seems too too light uh, maybe maybe more than adequate because I say one a big part of that is how good is your offensive line the assumption here is that the offensive line is going to be better than last year you have all five starters back Guys in the right spots, they're growing, they're getting older. As Zach Frazier pointed out at Big 12 Media Days, they were still extremely young last year. I mean, they had true freshmen, true sophomore, a lot of young guys playing in that offensive line. Now they're a little more experienced. They should be better. Second part of that is, how good is your passing game? If your passing game isn't worth worth a damn, then you can't run the ball. Teams can load that box. And I think when West Virginia was struggling passing the ball, that really hurt their run game. Three, Letty Brown, he ran for 1,000 yards, but last year was his worst year as a running back for West Virginia as far as like a lot of his um, advanced statistics, his yards after contact, his 
breakaway yardage, his breakaway speed, his all that stuff. It was some of the worst that he's had as a Mountaineer. I mean, 2.88 yards after contact. Um, that was lower than every year, except for, you know, when he was a backup in 2019. Um, so I think we kind of, uh, again, Lady Brown was a very good running back. He will likely stick with an NFL team, I think. Um, but I think because he hit a thousand yards two years in a row, he's being glorified as this, this amazing like talent generational type of talent in, in some people's eyes when he was in above average running back for, for college. And, and I don't want to say that's it because that's pretty special. You know, that puts you in the 1%, but there is an opportunity here for West Virginia to replicate that with Tony Mathis with Justin Johnson, with Jalen Anderson, and maybe even improve upon it with the three of them working together, and especially with how hard Tony Mathis runs. I mean, I know it was I know his big game was against Kansas, and Kansas ranked, what, like 128 teams mm-hmm. in run defense. So take that with a grain of salt. But I was looking more at how he always kept his feet moving and how angry he runs. And you hear it from the veterans, which also means a lot to me. You, you know, Dante Stills, Zach Frazier, they're talking about Tony Mathis and and Stills, when he did an interview with SiriusXM at Big 12 Media Days, and I wrote about this on the site, he he kind of said, you know, hey, Mathis has got the best of him in practice. And, and he's kind of not ashamed to talk about it, but just pointed out that, that Mathis is legit and, and everyone on the team knows it. And I think when the team knows it, when the stars of your team know that a guy is good, that means a lot to me. Said it before, say it again. Guys know. Mm-hmm. You just see it with guys stay, transfer, go pro. They know. They know what they're leaving. They know what they're bringing behind it. And they know that their teammates are, are typically capable of this or that. And to hear that and to see them saying that, that was uh, promising right there, too. Good. Chris, do you have a question for me here? Or- I do. It's more of a big picture thing. And it's something I alluded to earlier. Um, I was asked about it when I did, speaking of XM, uh, a, a little bit yesterday on XM. They asked me, and I wanted to ask you. What is or what will be kind of the general feeling among the fans or the athletic department about where Neil Brown is right now? Because and before you, I'll give you a second to think about it, because when they asked me, I talked about it. I said, you know, when he arrived short on scholarships, short on experience. So going five and seven in that first year seemed seemed like a win. And then after that, it was the Vic Coning thing right before the season starts, COVID, transfers, all this and that. And so it felt to me like it was hard to really judge where he's at. Um, And then I felt like I was a homer because I was already making excuses for him. And then I was back on the other side saying, but none of that matters because everyone else had to face a lot of that stuff too. And this is big time college football and all that matters is wins and losses. So I, uh, both sides of that pretty well um for about 10 minutes where are you falling on this so as we start the season at the end of the season what's your your frame let's start let's start at right now because they asked me for right now and i guess i kind of touched on what it might be at the end of the season and so did you so let's let's go right now so there's a scene in major league where rick vaughn is having a hard time finding the strike zone Mm -hmm. walk 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 and um Lou Brown looks to Pepper, his pitching coach, and says, let's see how he reacts. And he pegs the next guy and almost starts a brawl. And Lou Brown goes, you can go get him. 
<laughs> and my point here is not that Brown is, has threatened starting a bench-clearing brawl, but listen, he's missed the strike zone a bunch lately. And sometimes that's his fault and sometimes it's not. The nature of the sport the last couple of years is difficult because of so many things that have happened that are out of a coach's control. And even the most prepared and, and quote-unquote best coaches have probably struggled with this. So it's a heck of a time to make a transition to the Power Fives from the group of five, where he'd been very successful in the program, even though Troy was down, had been successful, and he knew how to walk in there and do things because he'd been there before. And he had a staff that knew how to do the same thing too. So making the leap to the Power Five required some patience, and then just the sport didn't allow it because of COVID and rules changes and everything else has made the sport so crazy lately. But sooner or later, you got to throw strikes. And all the talk about a coaching change after this offseason, as muted or as loud as it may have been, it all depends on, on your involvement or your perspective. I do think that you hire a coach to win games and get you to bowl games, but sometimes you're going to throw balls and sometimes you're going to miss the strike zone. And you can't pull your starting pitcher again and again and again and tax your resources. And sometimes you got to say, let's see if he can get out. Let's see if he can figure this out. And I think you hire a coach sometimes to, for lack of a better phrase, get the car out of the ditch and see if he can do it because not everybody's Alabama and not everybody is. I mean, how many Alabamas are there? Like Clemson has had a down year, right? I mean, they won 10 games, but like there's not a whole lot of schools that are perpetually successful and there's fewer coaches. So you got to see if your coach has it. And sometimes you're going to end up on the side of the road. And I think right now, at this point of the season, you can say, okay, you got four tires back on the blacktop. That's a start. Let's see how they do it. And not only that, but like, they didn't really have to call in a wrecker and, and do anything dramatic here. They, they did some things that were logical and agreeable. I think people could look at the offense or even just the leadership of the program at certain times. You're like, maybe he's spread too thin. If there's too much, too much going on, are there, are there too many plates spinning? And Brown said that. Like I wasn't a very good offensive coordinator because I was doing so many things. And he goes out and he gets a pretty good or accomplished offensive coordinator. We'll see how it works. And then just some of the other teams that he's talked about and the way that they've been open about certain things, whether it's why they made the changes or a key mesador leaving. Like it's just kind of being open to the public and and not treating people who know the game or root for the team like they're stupid or they can't possibly understand certain things because they're just a fan. No. We have eyeballs. Use them. You can tell when something's wrong. You can't fool your eyes sometimes, too. And I don't think they tried to do that. They they just did what they had to do, and they explained it. And a lot of the decisions and, and a lot of the actions make sense. Like, you could see problems, and it's, it becomes if-then stuff. If the offense is too complicated or if the head coach is too compromised, then make a change. And you did. And then we'll see how much of the X and O stuff is is better or improved or not as bad as it was. But you can't do that until the game starts. So as far as damage control or getting out of what he called a crisis mode, I think people have to feel pretty good that the moves were considered and made to at least get the four tires back in the blacktop and get this thing going back in the right direction again. So that's an extremely long way of saying so far so good and that none of it matters until you get going. But that's that's the minimum, maybe the maximum that you could ask for and expect at this point. You, you did a much better job of, of picking one side and sticking to it. Than I did. Thank you. Well, I'm kind of mad they called you. <laughs> like I'm on there all the time. You get me on that one. Oh, yep. uh, let's blow through these because I think these are going to be easy for us to answer and hopefully quick too. Um, key players here. I'll give you one side of the ball. I'll take the other. Do you want offense or defense? Uh, 
I mean, okay. You take offense. All right. So you go defense? Sure. I'll start with offense. It's it's Daniels for one, obviously. Um, and then I'm just fascinated by the running back room. That's the question I wanted to ask you because I want to see how it goes. I know that Mathis is just a big guy. I, I think that they have high hopes for Justin Johnson, and I just need to see a team figure out how to blend in three running backs, and I just don't know how that happens. So I, I really want to keep an eye on Justin Johnson. And then that offensive line, who's your right tackle there? Because that's the piece that's missing right now. I don't think that they're without options there. But left, left, center, right, they got the answers. The question they have is who's the right tackle. And you're asking Brandon Yates to come back from an injury, um, play the right side. But you're also asking Jaquay Hubbard to play with a new body for the first time in a long time and maybe to summer guard for the first time ever at this level. That's something that I want to keep an eye on because I think that's a huge part of the story of the offense here because you want to keep your quarterback, likely Daniels, upright and safe. Um, if he is, then the pass protection is good. If you have the right offensive line, maybe you run the ball a little bit better. They can do things with the offensive line. Play action to help. Um, I'm not so much worried about receiver because who they have is who they have, but the options they have at quarterback, running back, and right tackle are, are somewhat mobile. So th- those are the ones I think are important players for the plan. I do expect it to be Daniels. I think that Justin Johnson has a chance to be an effective part of the offense. I do think a lot of it hinges on the offensive line by extension, that right tackle. And on the defensive side of the ball, you know, I'm looking at all over the state, all over the secondary. And, and you can say oh, it could be Jasir Cox. It could be Davis Mellinger. It could be Wesley McCormick. It could be you just keep going. You don't know which way you want to go. Who's going to step up? Who is going to will Charles Woods kind of lead this defense after coming on in the second half of last year? So I'm not sure where to go in the secondary. And then I kind of got around to thinking more about it. And I want to go Lee Kova. Uh, Mike linebacker, it's such an important position. You are the captain of that defense. You have to understand what's going on. You have to um, call out gaps. You have to call out uh, what's going on, what scheme you're running, what the matchups are, um, how quickly is he adjusting to that, understanding that. And, and honestly, like that middle of the field, if you aren't plugging it up, then that requires West Virginia you know, to – other than replacing you, they would their move is to slide somebody over. They got to start shading the safety over. They got to start shading another linebacker over. They got to bring in another defensive lineman if you aren't doing your job. And then that opens gaps elsewhere. So I think keeping Lee Koba, keeping that middle solid. He doesn't have to be an all Big 12 performer. He just has to kind of not make mistakes. And that'll help hold this defense together. So I think Lee Koba is my my sneaky pick for the player to watch on that defensive side of the ball. I like a good pick there. And again, if he can blitz in that mic position, that helps a lot of things too, because you keep your edges and get new source of pressure there too. Uh, final question, Chris, this is going to be easy, but uh, we'll end where everything begins in the big 12, maybe in the college football. That's the quarterback position. Uh, four names, probably just maybe, I don't know, probably just one candidate. Maybe there's more than one here. Uh, I don't know how to ask the question, so I'll just do this. Quarterback? Daniels? Question mark? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know. I, gotta, again. I don't even know how to begin the topic here because I think it's so presumed, but it's going to be so carefully handled with with words and who's available and, and how the, the the coordination and then the explanation of the rotation is, is handled. I think... Anybody with, with some insight here is thinking it's going to be Daniels, but you also have the fact that maybe you have a guy who can do red zone stuff. Maybe you don't want Daniels doing a lot of running in the red zone. Got a guy who can do that. Um, 
And it might not be just Garrett Green. I don't know. It looks like I've seen Nico Marchio run around and make some plays in the red zone before too. Uh, high school competition, but still, like, I just there. It's a it's a buffet of options here. I don't know if you're going to have situational stuff for a second quarterback. I don't know if they're going to try to run a guy in one series in the first half. Um, I, I just don't know, which is kind of fascinating because I think we think, I think we know what's going to happen. We think we know, but like, what's that though? Like, I don't know what the final picture is. We may know who it is, but who or what is around him and how is it used? I, I just have no idea. Except the fact that, like, I just don't expect him to struggle and lose the starting job. Yeah, I mean, I I am trying to imagine a scenario where he's not winning it. And in, in, honestly, uh, knock on wood, it's coming down to, um, to, to health and injury status. And I think other than that, he is going to be the guy quarterback. He's going to remain the guy quarterback. And there's not much else to it. That simple, huh? Yep. I mean, right. I, like, I, I know people want more. I know, it, hey, it'd be good for business if there was a huge, wild quarterback controversy and battle and everything like that. But I think it's it's going to become pretty clear pretty quickly that Daniels is the guy. Again, they, they're not bringing him in to be a backup. They're not bringing him in to be a backup. Yeah, I would think so. So as long as he doesn't, again, should I use another movie? Kingpin? Go, yeah. <laughs> uh, when they ask Big Earn about what his chances are, he says, as long as I just show up and I don't get drunk and make a fool of myself. Like, I'm not saying it's that easy, but like you just say part of an injury or something, just a catastrophically bad performance by him, which I don't think anybody expects. It's probably going to be him. But there's so many variables around it. You know, what other options do they leave themselves? How do they keep other guys happier involved? That might actually be the story about quarterbacks. So when I say quarterback, it, it's really rife with questions. So that'll be something certainly to watch. It'll begin Monday at Mountaineer Field, expecting Neil Brown to talk uh, before or after. I don't know what I'll talk about, but we'll see what happens. We'll be there to cover it. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.